Hello and welcome to The Rising, a podcast where we delve deep into everything related to Freemasonry and particularly, but not limited to, Freemasonry governed by the United Grand Lodge of England under the District Grand Lodge of Madras. This is episode one. And what better way to start than with our very own District Grandmaster himself? We are privileged to have with us today, Right Worshipful, the District Grandmaster, Theophilus Arputaraj Devanyanam. Right Worshipful brother, welcome. It is an absolute honor to have you here. Thank you for agreeing to be our very first guest. And may I also thank you for your support and guidance towards launching this initiative. Thank you. And uh, the pleasure is entirely mine. Right Worshipful brother, perhaps we can begin with your start into Freemasonry. Uh, when did you join Freemasonry and which was your mother lodge? Uh, I was initiated in the Lodge of Faith, Hope and Charity in February, oh dear, 1977. Faith, Hope and Charity is the only lodge of which I am a member, a subscribing member. I am an honorary member in a lodge in Malaysia. It's called Lodge Idris. So that's been quite a long time, 1977, as you said. That's right. Yes. So what attracted you to Freemasonry? Well, I'm a third generation Mason. Yes. I, from the moment I was born, I had my father and my grandfather going to the lodge once a month. So it was in my blood. And, you know, my grandmother spoke to me about Freemasonry. My mother spoke to me about it. So... <laughs> But, but do you uh, remember around the time that you were about to join, was there anything, or, or even before that, what is it about what your grandmother spoke about or what your, perhaps your grandfather or, or, or your father was doing that, that really attracted you to it? Well, I can put it this way. Both my father and my grandfather were very fine people. And I know, knew, of course, the people they associated with who were also very fine people. For example, my school principal or headmaster, as he was called, was also a member of Faith Open Charity. And, you know, so there were many people I knew who were senior Masons and who I respected, I looked up to, and uh, as a young man wished to emulate. Well, it's no surprise, Freemason does attract the best men, I suppose. Yeah, and I knew, I, I knew, of course, the basic principles of Freemasonry, which again, to me, were, was an attractive way of life. Wonderful. So, since you did reach the subject about how it's an attractive way of life, how do you think you have, of so many years, of course, uh, how do you think you have benefited the most out of Freemasonry? I've benefited extremely greatly. Probably one of the most important uh, lessons I picked up from Freemasonry was self-discipline. The importance of doing things well, doing them accurately, and... Um, uh, or several other things. I've, I've, you know, I run my own business. And uh, I'm basically by qualification an engineer. We run a manufacturing business. So I spent the first 15 or 17 years of my working career on the shop floor. I had no exposure to marketing, exports, uh, and things like that. And I had just come into general administration was there for a short while when my father passed on. So I had to take over. I was a young man. And when I was, ever, when I was faced with a dilemma, particularly with uh, sales to a customer or something like that, I made my decisions based on Masonic principles. I said, 
as a Mason, what would I do? Uphold your own integrity, the integrity of your organization. Those were the principles I applied. That, that's such a wonderful anecdote in, in, in which you connected uh, Masonic principles to your everyday life, generally. Yeah, and to my profession. Yeah. But uh, from a time in Freemasonry, are there any incidents or any such other interesting anecdotes that happened that's connected to Masonry itself or, or your time within the Lodge, perhaps? Any such incident you might like to recollect? Well, not really, you know, but from uh, my travels all over the world, I've been recognized as a Freemason so often, but that's mainly because of my ring. Right. I had a very, very, very interesting evening once in London. I had gone for the uh, annual investiture meeting in the Grand Lodge. And uh, I don't know if you were there and whether you met him, our Boshwar brother Khalil Rahman. I haven't. They came with 17 Englishmen. That was in 2017. I think that was just before I joined. Okay. Outside London. So we decided to, he's a very old and dear friend, decided to have dinner together. So we were sitting in a restaurant having dinner. And at the table next to us was an American couple. Now I got up to visit the gents and I came back and I found my friend chatting with these people. And he introduced and he said, uh, this gentleman is a mist. Then he went on to say, they were both, they could overhear us speaking. And we were speaking about the lodge and about the Nilgiris because Khalil is originally from the Nilgiris. Right. And uh, these, this couple had overheard us. So they were in a private conversation. And he said, these two guys at the next table must be priests. And she said, shut up, they're Freemasons. <laughs> Oh, well, that's hilarious. So there's been a number of incidents like that, but uh, I can't really think of anything. Um... Right. Well, since you mentioned that you're recognized quite often, perhaps for the ring, I, I remember recognizing you from a certain place, the last Netflix. Um, F- I, I don't know if you know this, but in the Netflix um, uh, documentary on Freemasons, I actually recognize mm-hmm. you, you were right there, right? At the end, just towards the end of the yes. document, you were there as well. Yeah, yeah, at dinner. Yeah. And, and yeah. I remember jump, jumping in joy when I saw you there because I know you <laughs> through the yeah. Mother Lodge, but it was also wonderful to see representation there. Yeah. Uh, and you being the representative. So it was wonderful. Shall we move on to something slightly more relevant to the modern times? And recently there's been a push to towards getting younger Masons or at least push for masonry to be recognized by um, younger masons. So in your opinion, what do people misunderstand most about our organization? How do you think we can change that if there is something? You see, number one, masonry has never had enough publicity. Now, for reasons of their own, and perhaps wise, perhaps the lack of publicity is why we have survived for over 300 years as a non-political and non-religious organization. But today, to attract younger people, we need to make changes in the way we do things. And this kind of interview is one of engaging with social media to make for people like you, for our district communications officer, to make the whole Masonic journey more enjoyable rather than in the days before the internet and social media and what have you. You went to lodge, you socialized and so on. That was an evening of entertainment. 
now youngsters look for more. We need a bigger presence. And the misunderstanding is a lack of publicity. The misunderstanding is the secrecy that has been rightly or wrongly attached to masonry. You've been called a cult, you've been called a sinister organization, you've been called a criminal organization, you've been accused of trying to take over the world. Every possible bad thing has been thrown at masonry. We need to come out of it. Membership and boosting membership is extremely important because we are shrinking, even in our own district. For the first five years that I ruled the district, we were actually growing. Not very much. We were growing by 0.1%, 0 0.2%, 0 0.5% every year. Now we have started declining. Three or four years ago, we had 1,100 members. Today, we're under 1,000. So, you know, if we want to see our organization go on for a further 300 years, we really need to make changes. And engaging on social media is important. The Grand Lodge is very keenly aware of this. And they've had a lot of initiatives which have been helpful. And I've just seen today from the, you know, when at the annual investiture, the program master has a business meeting with district grandmasters and provincial grandmasters. He had put out a strategy plan. And I just saw the slides from that. It is a very good pathway. And I think uh, we need to develop on that. And this, the new of officers we've appointed, the communications officer, the membership officer, they're all there with a view to A, bring Freemasonry into the public, to give us a better public face, and to increase membership and to make the organization more interesting for younger people. So greatly, Freemasonry has been largely misunderstood. And sorry to say it, but over a very, very long period, we did nothing about correcting that. Right. You did touch upon some of these um, initiatives that we're taking and, and just some of them, but I, I know for a fact there are so many more that have begun at, uh, under your ages, really, and under the uh, District Grand Lodge. Um, of Madras, but um, given where you are positioned and your perspective looking down, uh, would you say, do you think Freemasonry will survive the test of time during this age of the internet and information? Do you think we will survive it? Well, I think so. And I think it's our responsibility to make sure that we survive. All of us, yeah. not mine, but all of us. And it is people like you, the younger Masons who are engaging us in all of this, that is going to make the difference. And it is you who have to speak up. It is the younger Masons who have to say, look, this is what we'd like to do. And I'm glad to see in our district, they are doing it a lot with the learning and development team. Right. They come to me with all sorts of ideas and say, we want to do this. Say, okay, go ahead. But you know, that is important. The involvement of the younger Mason and as far as the older Masons are concerned, I don't know how well this is done at individual lodge level, mm. but at every single lodge, the younger Mason must be given a voice. Right. And this is the main reason why our mother lodge, Faith, Open Charity, started inviting all Masons, even initiates, to the permanent committee meeting every month. 
because a permanent committee is constituted of certain officers of the lodge only. Yes. We invite everyone. Otherwise, what does the PC become? When I joined the lodge, what was the PC? The permanent committee meeting was another hidden mystery of masonry. <laughs> when you were locked out. <laughs> and, you know, the, you, we must strive to engage the younger brother. Well, we must, certainly. There, there's a lot, lot more to do. But it seems like, as always, well, not just our mother lodge, but our district seems to be better at this. Uh, or, or at least the, the, the initial step taking initiatives have always been um, a forte of the district. Uh, any idea why we are so much better at it? Well, well I, I'll tell you. Number one is, as far as the administration is concerned, we don't want to hamper enthusiasm. Right. We want to encourage the youngsters. I understand very clearly that I know little about what would engage or excite a youngster of today. I honestly do know very little about it. And the other thing is, we are the largest district in India in terms of membership. And we have a very vibrant membership. Our members are enthusiastic. Our members enjoy their masonry. It's illustrated clearly by every district grand lodge meeting we have. This could work wonders for the district, but as I said, with all of this, we are still in decline. So we need, we really need to uh, ramp it up. Right. And uh, so, so you did, I mean, one of the ways you've described right now in this conversation is young masons getting in to, um, or get, getting more involved. But how about Freemasonry looking outward towards Generation Z, Generation X, Generation Z? How do we appeal to the outside world to come in? I mean, any ideas or thoughts there? One of the important things we need to do is publicize our charities more. Now, you know, as you know, our district is involved in a very uh, unique uh, charitable project which is prison reform. And they've made huge steps. And they've been able to engage the top level of police officers, the judges, the whole lot. So I think there's a lot to be said for that, but we need to publicize it more. And we need to publicize our involvement. Not just the fact that prison reform is being done, but who is financing it? Who's behind it? The Masons. These sort of things. For example, I don't know how many people from the public even know that under the regional Grand Lodge of Southern India, there is a Masonic hospital in Coimbatore. You know, these things need to be uh, publicized more. And we need, it, need to do it irrespective of which constitution we belong to. All, all constitutions are doing a great amount of good work, but the public must know about it. So we need to engage the media more. And currently, we are trying to engage the social media more. So the younger people get to know about masonry because that's the age group we are trying to attract. So I think these are important things. And uh, we also need to encourage younger masons to speak about masonry more, to speak about their membership amongst their friends, amongst their family, their peers, their children, their parents, whoever. So, you know, spread the word that it's a good organization. Time to move out of the shadows then. Absolutely.
I mean, for many, many, many years now, I've never hesitated to speak about masonry to other people. Well, but that's also changing. As a newer mason, uh, I am a lot less apprehensive about mentioning the fact that I'm a mason, I suppose. And thanks to the previous generation of masons' effort. One should never be apprehensive about mentioning it, and one should be enthusiastic and be proud to be a mason right. and uh, be proud to talk about it. Right. People will ask you questions about, you know, there are so many secrets in Freemasonry. My standard answer is the biggest secret is there's no secret. <laughs> then they talk about secret handshakes and they say, okay, we have modes of recognizing each other. I could recognize a Mason anywhere in the world. That we keep confidential. But anything else you want to know about the organization, I will tell you. And particularly given what you just mentioned, we have such key contributions that we're making to society. Exactly. There are parts of our ritual, for example, which I think it is the first degree charge. It has a concept and it says, as a citizen of the world, these are your responsibilities. Now, that concept 300 years ago, <laughs> when the ritual was written, you, you know, when you tell people these things, it should bring a favorable, favorable opinion upon the institution. Perhaps, it's, uh, would you think it's also time to find new ways to contribute to society that would be more attractive to the new generation? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But then again, in order to do that, we need the involvement of the younger Masons. Yes. Why our membership officer, our communications officer are all younger members. And, you know, I have no problem with moving younger members up. I'm sometimes restricted by the constitution, <laughs> and uh, which says you can't become a district grand officer unless you become a master. So, you know, there are things like that, but I think the younger people have much more to contribute. And, you know, unfortunately in, in uh, large parts of our institution, uh, the older members sit firm and literally uh, suffocate the youngsters. And uh, to all of them, I can say only one thing, please understand that letting go is not giving up. It is simply moving on. Often you will find senior masons refusing to let go. Sometimes even when they are infirm. That, in my mind, is a tragedy. It's a big mistake. So all of us need to move on. Yeah, you need to make way for the youngsters and you need to give them an opportunity and to give them responsibility when they're still junior masons. Such a wonderful thing to come from a senior mason like you, I must say. The, the, the UGL. Even they are trying. For example, what many people, <coughs> many Masons, they look forward to a rank. When will I become a district grand officer? When will I become a district grand warden? When will I become a grand officer? So in order to encourage or promote younger members, some years ago, the, you know, the grand ranks are given based on the number of Masons in your district. So for example, we with the number of Masons we have, we get one and a half ranks a year. So one one year and two the next year. Now, there are junior grand ranks and that UGLE has said, you can split. So for a junior rank, you can take one of the ranks you have and make it into two, provided that one of the persons you're recommending is under the age of 51. So, you know, these are initiatives they're also taking. 
Also, in the UK, they have a very successful universities program where they are recruiting university students. Quite honestly, I'm finding that a bit difficult to get around how we should approach it in India because our university situation here is quite different. Yes, that's true. As you would know. So uh, we need to look at that. We need to go down to that level. We really do. But we need to have a proper strategy that will work. There's also a problem since you mentioned uh, universities. Uh, given our constitution allows certain kinds of minority institutions, which might then be diametrically opposed to the idea of masonry, the older ideas of masonry, that might be difficult to recruit. Well, you know, we are a non-religious organization, and I think that is something we should we should put right in front of us, that members from all faiths, we are members from all faiths, and we must also put in front of us the fact that we are forbidden at our meetings from discussing religion or politics. Exactly. So, you know, you, uh, the, these are the important parts of Freemasonry which need to be put out there. It's more of that coming out of the shadows aspect again in every... Yeah. You, you need to put it out there. You need to put it out there loud and clear. So, um, right, Bush, brother, I, will, I, I know your time. Uh, you've given us so much time. Uh, but there's just one more question I need to ask. <laughs> After so many years in Freemasonry, just, if you could just recollect one takeaway that you could share with the, the same set of young Masons that we're looking to reach out from this, such a program, what would that be? What would that one takeaway be for <laughs> That's a tough one, anyway. It is a little there, <laughs> there is so much from Masonry that has benefited me personally, professionally, that, uh, you know, one incident is difficult to put a finger on. What I can say to younger Masons is uh, a dedicated Mason will do whatever work is given to him in his lodge, involve himself at all the uh, non-ritual practices of the lodge, the charities, the social events and whatever they have uh, without striving or fighting for a reward. Uh, many years ago, I once we our lodge once had a uh, bit of a uh, what should I quibble with the uh, district grand lodge, yes. and uh, we wanted something, and the district grand lodge was not giving it to us. And I was called aside by a very senior officer of the district. I'm not going to mention names, who said. You give this up. When the Cornwallis Masonic Home is opened in Bangalore, I will make sure that you are the president of the charity. Now, the reason for this was that the first president of the District Grand Charity Fund Trust was my father. In fact, he mooted it. We had many charities and there was money lying all over, brought it all into one and he was the first president. By that time, by the time I had this discussion, he had passed on. My answer to that was no. This is something the Lodge has a right to and deserves. And I'm not looking for uh, future uh, you know, promotions or whatever. It doesn't make a difference to me. As fate would have it, when that Masonic home was opened, I was the president of the charity. 
<laughs> and right. my name is on that uh, stone out there. Anyway, um, another thing, when I was fairly young in terms of my business, one of my customers in America bought another one. Now, this company then became our single biggest customer in the world. But the president of the company that they bought started his own company and asked me if I would supply him, and I said yes. So my biggest customer in the world threatened me on many an occasion, saying, if you supply him, we won't buy from you. The first time I was threatened, it worried me. I got back to my hotel. I didn't know what to say or what to do. Finally, I said, you know, what has Masonry taught me? Maintain your integrity. You're given your word to another man who supported your company for many years. And went back to them and said, so be it. And eventually, they ditched us. And now, some 25, 30 years later, that company is buying from us again. Not the volumes they used to buy, but at least they've started buying. You know, I apply the Masonic principles to my life in many decisions that I make. And I think the most important is the, the integrity in everything you do. That's a good lesson to hear. Wonderful. So, you know, these are the sort of things I have got out of masonry. And I can tell you, I've got a lot more out of it than I put into it. Right. So, my worship brother, uh, I think we'll end it there. Thank you again for agreeing to be our first guest. Um, as always, it's been a pleasure conversing with you. I've had the pleasure of doing this before. And uh, I, I find it was one of my greatest pleasures about going to the Mother Lodge was talking with you all the time. Um, so we take away a lot from your experience with Freemasonry today. Uh, and I'm sure it will go a long way towards inspiring new and young Masons as we've spoken and, and furthering their understanding of what is our beloved organization. Certainly, it's become my beloved organization. Well, and I'm like, I can't even begin to understand uh, the deep connection that you would have with it. Um, so in that sense, again, thank you so much. Uh, it's been wonderful seeing you after so long. Um, and it's been just fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much, Dale. Uh, right, thank you. As I said, the, the pleasure is entirely mine. <laughs> and, you know, anytime you want me on these programs, I'm quite happy to join in. On that note, thank you to a wonderful guest. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. We look forward to having you with us again on the next episode of The Rising. Till then, this is Rohit Roy signing off. Farewell, brethren.